The podcast is back. The podcast is back. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, ouch. That one hurt. I'm just, I don't have it. I don't have it this morning. I'm not going to lie. You're so professional. Hey. Um, I guess welcome to Just Another Why Guys Podcast. Uh, I guess. I, I mean, guess, whatever. suppose. Whatever. Hey, uh, everybody. Welcome back to Just Another Why Guys Podcast. I'm Dustin Jones. Switching into high gear. Ooh, bringing dance moves. It, bringing it. Faking it. Just to get through these next four minutes of entertainment for you, my beautiful JogPod listeners. Yes, we're back. It's another podcast. Can you believe it? We're at like, I don't know, like... 17 weeks in a row or something like that it's awesome like every week since my birthday holy buckets we're like just pumping out content i am now a content distribution <laughs> network you are a podcast influencer is what you are i am even planning on putting some special podcasts together to already have preloaded and ready to go up while we go on vacation nice because i'm thinking about you my beautiful wife and my beautiful jog pod <laughs> listeners. The two things I need most in my life, my wife and the listeners of this podcast, to feel fulfilled <laughs> as a human spiritually. This is what I need. To fill the giant void in your life. <sighs> wow, that was a little too real. <laughs> I can't really It was a little bit on I the nose. I can't Where I'm, we go I'm from little, there. I'm a little frustrated that you just said that. Now I'm now I'm triggered. <laughs> I have been triggered. You triggered yourself, fool. Hey. Hey. So uh, you haven't been on in a couple weeks. I know. I thought maybe you didn't like me anymore. you abandoned my podcast? No, I mean, I thought... Are you boycotting us? Yes. I mean, that's definitely it. I thought maybe you didn't want me on anymore. Well, in fairness, two weeks ago when you weren't on, you weren't here because you abandoned me. Excuses, excuses. home. Hi. What are you doing over there? (laughs) He's literally trying to like smooch me while I'm talking. Oh. Buddy, I'm doing a podcast. He doesn't care. You want to be on the podcast? Can you speak? Woof. Speak. No. Nope. Yeah. He doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't like us that much. He doesn't much. perform on command. He's just like, um, why are we all sitting here again? <laughs> uh, what was I saying? I was uh, making you fun were, of you. You were being mean to me about uh, forcing me to go to Minnesota and then giving me crap about it that I abandoned you First, to go to I Minnesota. I didn't force you to go to Minnesota. I suggested it. Strongly so suggested. So to continue to save our marriage. <laughs> From, from well, implosion. <laughs> by that, that's a little holiday holiday uh, the lack of holiday cheer while I work, and it's a good honestly it's a good thing especially since I caught called into work on Sunday. I think that you would have been a little annoyed with that. Yeah, that would have been a bummer for so, sure. All in all, it was worth it. But I mean, I don't really like you that much, so it would have been fine, I guess, for you to yeah. just be the work, at work the whole time I was off. But you know. I mean, whatever. Wow, look at that. Triggered again. <laughs> did, I, did I trigger myself that time? Is that one, was that one my fault? I mean, you set me up, so. Son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, so uh, welcome to Just Another One. <laughs> did I do that part? I think you did that part already. I don't remember. Are you awake? Like, no. what? Does it's anybody 1230 care? on Sunday. It, what's frustrating is I just recorded such a professional radio person. <laughs> now you fudged it all up. Podcast. You fudged up, guys. <laughs> oh, guys, I fudged up. Sweet, the three best friends. Can you? How great is that movie? So it's so good. We watched the hang. Uh, we were flipping channels, so I was watching um, 
the MLS Cup last night. Speaking, okay, wait, before we move on, who the heck was that little girl who sang the national anthem at that thing? I don't know. Yeah, you guys, if you're listening to this, you should go seek out the little girl who sang the national anthem for the MLS Cup because... Like, go Holy seek out buckets. to watch the video. Like, don't go seek out the little girl. That'd be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's clarify. Let's clarify. <laughs> let's clarify. <laughs> seek out YouTube video of her per- singing the national anthem. Yes, that is a more correct way to say there that. Perfect. Don't want to trigger any of you weirdos don't be, out there. Don't be gross. But So we were watching the MLS. Yeah, and it... It went really poorly, and Timbers lost. I'm assuming they lost. Cause they I, did lose. Yeah. Um, so we were flipping channels, and The Hangover was on HBO, or HBO 2. I don't know. But we were right at the part where uh, they take the shot, and uh, the night goes off the rails. And we're watching it and laughing, and Nikki's like, oh, I was telling her some stuff from the beginning, and... There's a part of there's a part at the beginning of the movie that just doesn't really hold up anymore in, a, in this new world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, "Oh, I've totally." And that there was another thing that I said that. Oh, you're, I just when Bradley Cooper talks about being a, a teacher, oh, when yeah, Phil yeah. talks about being a teacher, yeah. I'm like, "Can you imagine what a shitty teacher that guy must be? Like, he must be the world's worst teacher ever." And then you said, "I was like, don't you remember? Like, he's like." stealing money from the kids to pay for this Vegas trip <laughs> which I like, forgot I didn't about even remember. so I was like hey guess what we could just start this movie over thank you technology <laughs> and then we started we watched the part that we hadn't seen then fast forward and caught back up and and then uh, you promptly oh. fell asleep for the last 45 I did. I minutes sl- of the movie because that's <laughs> what you do apparently I cannot you, stay awake through a movie an, you've turned into your dad no and where you just fall <laughs> asleep on tv all the time <laughs> Oh, coughing fit. Sorry. <laughs> My favorite right. part is that you turn off your microphone because you think that this microphone won't pick it up well, when I you mean, were just out there being mean to me while I was recording <laughs> and he literally heard you. You were being mean to me, first think, off. Well, all And of, I was defending myself. All of my listeners can judge that after <laughs> the fact when they hear it. I turned off my mic when I was coughing because even though they can still pick it up on yours, it's better than hearing me <laughs> hack a lung up into yeah, the microphone. still interesting. <clears throat> um, yeah, so you haven't been on in a couple weeks. Anything interesting happened in your life? Um, well, I went and saw Manchester Orchestra. Um, at House of Blues, which is not one of my favorite places to see a show in town, but it seems like a lot of bands play there. So, you know, I've just had kind of had to make my peace with it. They were awesome. They're like, they're mellow and driving at the same time. And they were really good. I will say, though, that my thoughts about their show is tempered. Were t- my thoughts about the show was tempered, was tempered by um, going and seeing Gary Clark Jr. on just a few days later because he was ridiculous and like completely blew my mind. So like, which we've already, you've already talked about with Ken and whatever. So we don't need to go into that again, but um, Manchester orchestra was great. They did do the thing that's really annoying to me where they only played like 45 minutes and then walked off the stage and came back and did only like three more songs. Like they have three albums. They should not be leaving the stage after 45 minutes, yeah. but it was an all ages show and their second opener played for a really long time. Like they went on, I think too long. Yeah. So, but they were good. They're a band called the front bottoms, which is hilarious enough. The, <laughs> but the funny, the funniest thing about the front bottoms, their lyrics are pretty funny and stuff, but they had a bar 
on the stage, like a whole like wooden bar set up with um, like real working like beer um, kegs, like poles. So what you're saying is that they've co-opted my Jogpod Studio idea where, you know, I mean, look at the look at the full bar that we have here. <laughs> I mean... But so then the rotating taps seasonal seasonal taps. That's right. But so like random people from back in like backstage and then there were like 20 people in the band. So like if it was a song that they weren't doing something on, they'd go sit at one of the bar stools and the bartender would pour him a bar, would pour him a drink. That's hilarious. <clears throat> and then there was a guy in the crowd who it was his birthday and the singer's like, well, do you want to come up and have a drink? The guy said no. Who says no to getting up on stage and having a drink? One, a free drink. Two, on stage with the band. What kind of uh, fool is that guy? I would have kicked that person out. Yeah. That guy should not he did not deserve to be at that show. Bye, Felicia. But so anyway, so they were they were good and funny, but I I've heard of them, but I'd never heard them before. Um but yeah, like uh in I my, think, sorry. Yeah. In my brain, when I had said kick the guy out, like um you know remember, remember in the movie Tombstone when Curly Bill was like, Well, bye. That's <laughs> just that was what was going through my well. Bye. I thought you were thinking of the Dave Grohl uh, video from it was somewhere in Europe where there were guys fighting and two guys were fighting in a show and he's like, "No, that was in New York." Was it in New York? Yeah. He's like, "Get the fuck out of my show!" Like he's just screaming. He's like, "You don't come to my fu- my show to fight. You come to my show to fucking dance." He's like screaming at the guy. <laughs> you, 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 you in the no, you, you motherfucker, you look at me, no, look at me, get the fuck out. It's the best ever. Speaking of Foo Fighters, though, so Foo Fighters, so I was actually coming around to Foo Fighters, and okay. it's funny, you're wearing a Foo Fighters shirt. Um, after seeing Foo Fighters several times, like, they have a whole thing about not doing encores, yeah. because one, they're bullshit, but two, like, they have a shit ton of music, so they just play until they're done. Yeah. They don't do the obligatory, like, get off the stage, leave the lights down, wait for everybody to cheer, for them to come back out. Like, they play until they're done, and then when they're done, they're done. Like, the crowd would have to mutiny. They would have to actually demand a legit encore for an encore to happen for them. And to me, like, I so agree with that philosophy that when a band walks off like you're getting emotional about it a little bit no i'm not your eyes glazed over oh no you're gonna cry it's just more that i'm gonna sneeze you're gonna cry no why don't be mean sorry okay but so anyway i feel very strongly that it's super dumb that bands go off walk off stage when they obviously like haven't played some of their biggest hits that you know they're going to come back out and play they're going to play something that you don't know that's maybe a cool version of something that they do they're going to play their biggest like closer song whatever like i hate that i would rather they just do their show and if the crowd wants them to have an encore then they demand an encore and they come back out yeah but so anyway gary clark did that too but he played for a long time before he did it so it didn't annoy me as much and he was freaking awesome pretty much every band does it right i get it it's annoying most it's just bullshit it's not bullshit though when i can get a crowd chant or a stomp to start that's true if i can get it going if i myself get it you know i've I've done it a few times makes me feel good about myself okay so i have a weird question yes is there chocolate on that microphone <laughs> Ken must have gotten some mom when he was holding the chocolate chip cookie. So, so while Ken while Ken was doing this podcast last week. Gross, you don't wipe down your mics, we were, dude? Ew. Not clear down at the mic handle. 
So Ken <laughs> Ken had a chocolate chip blowing cookie that guy up, in man. his hand for like 45 minutes. Apparently it melted. And I don't know if, if you were listening last week. I'm not 100% sure if you could tell. We were not sober. <laughs> what? <laughs> in fact, I got a text message about uh, how come I didn't ask Ken about the list. You just, just forgot. Just be thankful that there was a podcast. Just be thankful I remembered to hit record. And the we had way too many beers. The podcast wasn't just lost to the ether. <laughs> I also, I also didn't ask this week's guest about the list because, like, he's a radio professional. person. He's like an and, actual like, professional. He's like, he's like a radio person and like you know a responsible human adult. Who uh, next time? Next time. <laughs> gotta gotta ease. Some people need to be. Some people need to be eased in. To the jog pod. I feel like you should just go full bore. Like, I don't know. You be you, jungles. You be you. I just <laughs> called you jungles on the podcast. <laughs> Thankfully, I have final edit power. <laughs> uh, if you don't leave that in, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, whatever. <sighs> jingles. At least you didn't call me jingles. <laughs> Jingle jungles. Well, I that's am- going to be a thing for sure. <laughs> During the holiday season. <laughs> it's the holiday it's season. <laughs> so every time I hear that song, I think of your version of that song. Yeah. Wait, so hickory dock. And don't forget. <laughs> Suck my cock. <laughs> As Johnny Mathis is singing it, I think of you singing your little words. <sighs> well... <laughs> this is exactly how I thought the 15 minutes of this was going to go. Uh, <laughs> oh. I feel like I got a lot of talking out last night, so now like I can actually talk about real things. Right. I got through all the bullshit last night as I talked for 45 <laughs> minutes straight and didn't come up for a breath. Well, you know, that's just one of those things that has to happen sometimes. It's true. I am a bit of a talker. Which is why you probably should have a podcast. Let's turn the podcast. Just let's give you the podcast. Who wants to hear me anyway? <laughs> I'm good in like short blurbs. I'm not like a. <laughs> Nikki, you talked for 45 minutes straight right, last night. But... That is a short blurb. <laughs> Apparently. So 45 minutes is a short blurb. Uh, what people should do is watch my Insta stories. They should follow me at Skenzi Jones. S-K-E-N-Z-I Jones. On Instagram. J-O-N-E-S. Right. And watch my Insta stories every morning oh, that I okay. put out. Or you could just do a podcast. Or I could do a podcast. It's a lot of work. So we, uh, before we uh, get to our guest this week, uh, we are going to start doing something here at the house. Um, last week, uh, we had some people over and I thought, you know, maybe we should just do this more often. And I thought it would be fun to... Like, give it a funny name. So I decided to call it Sunday Church. <laughs> so, like, every two weeks or so, and holidays are going to screw this up a little bit because uh, we'll be gone. But uh, we're going to have Sunday Church here at our house and uh, invite people over and hang out and and just do the thing. And you never know. It may turn into its own podcast. It might. It's also, like, I just think it'll be cool to hang out with, like, we have a, a house that is really well set up for having people over. Yeah. And... We may as well just have people over. We like exactly. having people over. We have a lady who comes and cleans every two weeks. Our house is never really a dump anymore. Um, so it's never that much work to have people here. So like, we should just do that all the time. 
So I think that's what we're going to do. So if you're listening to this, you're invited to Sunday church. I don't care where you live. You are absolutely invited. Come on down. To About four o'clock, just swing on by. Roll on through. I would prefer if you brought me alcohol, but you don't have to. <laughs> I, I mean, bring, al- I mean bri- bring alcohol for yourself, but feel free to share it with me. Ken set the bar pretty high with his, oh, yeah. with his array of fine meats and cheeses and he nice wine. Bring, he did bring meats and cheeses and fine wine. So bring me all the muffins and bagels in the land. <laughs> You'll sip from the cu- cup of victory. <laughs> it's the keg of glory. Oh, shoot. I really? know I'm saying it wrong. Did you really just botch I that I totally botched that, that West badly? Wing. God, I'm embarrassed. Oh, God. All right. I guess we're done. <laughs> when you botch a line that badly. That was really, terrible. I knew really, I was saying it wrong as I was doing it, but I couldn't really, remember what it was. There's really no point in going on uh, at this point. I'm embarrassed. I apologize. Do you have anything else that uh, you want to say or do or... You know, um, so, well, my big project at work is done as yeah. of tomorrow or it's finishing up as we speak, as we speak. Woo-hoo! Um, I, I have been the move coordinator for about 60 some people moving to our new headquarters at work and it is happening this weekend and it is done. Thank the freaking Lord. I was having stress dreams about it. Like I dreamt <laughs> last <laughs> Wednesday night that, um, um, a, we found this huge storage room that we didn't even know that we had. And there was like a grand piano in there and furniture and files and Christmas decorations and all this BS. I'm walking in. I'm like, um, why, why do accountants have a grand piano? Like, I don't understand why we have this, but so we're going through and cleaning it all out. And a spider bit me on my arm and it all swelled up and I had to go to the ER. So I woke up like, <gasps> You know, at three o'clock in the morning, having that dream, the day of our last day in the office. So I think I was maybe storing some stress and anxiety. So pretty glad that that's over. Um, so yeah, so now uh, it's just, that's that's pretty much it. That's been kind of the focus of my, my work life. And it feels like just my life because I come home and I am tired and I just want to go to sleep after. So, so I feel like I have, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to do with myself with all my time at this point. Um, so that's that's what I've got going on. Awesome. That also means that maybe we'll have news about you in a new role at your work. Soon. It sounds like stuff's in the works. Ooh. They've talked. There's there's some rumors going on, going on about the place that there might be something coming up for me. So. so be prepared for a breaking news audio podcast when we can announce Nikki's new job. Yeah. So I can one do use my accounting degree and two pay for my accounting degree. Right. That would be amazing. If any of you have extra money and would like to donate it to uh, paying <laughs> off Nikki's, uh, Nikki, Nikki's schooling, we're gl- we gladly will take donations because I don't know if you know this, but this podcast is free to you. Not free to me so much. But I do it out of love. Uh, without further ado, let's get to our guest this week. Um, he is a gentleman that hired me uh, for my first radio job in the twin cities my only radio job in the twin cities uh my second radio job ever and he is uh, a radio nerd and has a lot of great stuff to talk about radio he's a great guy and i'm very lucky that uh, he was willing to take some time to talk to us here on this week's episode uh it's brad lane formerly of uh am 1500 kstp and hubbard broadcasting in uh minnesota so i hope that uh, you enjoy the conversation because I enjoyed it, 
and he's going to be back for more. So if you don't like it, you probably won't like those episodes, but that means you're an asshole. So <laughs> that's on you. So you're going to need to figure that out and fix it and come back with a better attitude. That's because true. Because that's what you need in this world is a better attitude. <laughs> but uh, also, you're going to want to know this going into this podcast. If you have been longing for an episode of Just Another White Guys podcast where I don't talk that much, this is definitely going to be the podcast for you <laughs> because Brad has great stories and he has a lot to say. And I got to just ask some questions and sit back. I loved it because he had great stuff. And anytime you can get someone who is engaged and really wants to talk, just makes my job easier. So I hope that you enjoy this week's episode. Brad Lane coming up on this week's episode of Just Another Why Guys Podcast. Let's go jogging. No, I was born in Arkansas and got the hell out as fast as I could. Um, my dad, my dad was a Baptist minister, um, so he moved around a lot with the family, as you might imagine. Uh, I was born in a tiny town called El Dorado, and they know you're not from there if you pronounce it El Dorado. Right. Um, and then we moved around. We lived in just about every small town, big town in Texas, especially Southeast Texas. Uh, I remember most when I was really young, the town of Beaumont, which is down on the Southeastern corner of Texas, or as we call the sewer by the sea, um, <laughs> just an armpit of a uh, community. But anyway, we moved to various places. The majority of my time spent growing up was in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, I was, uh, I was a Metroplex kid, probably from the age of four or five till I graduated from high school. Then I went back to Arkansas, <laughs> heaven forbid, but they were the, there was the one place where colleges were offering me, uh, you know, help in terms of college. And I knew the area and we had friends there and whatnot. So I went back to Arkansas to, uh, to go to school and got, you know, my communications degrees and stuff like that. But it's, it's where my radio career started, uh, which is, that's the sentimental part of Arkansas that I have, not necessarily that I was born there or that I'm a huge Razorback fan because it made my family sick to their stomach that somebody wasn't rooting for the University of Texas. But um, <laughs> I started doing high school football play-by-play -play literally the first day when I was a freshman in college. I just walked into the local radio uh, station's office. I knew the guy liked to do sports, and I, I kid you not, I mean, he could have put me on you know, bathroom duty or custodial things, or at the time, you know, most people who are in radio now don't even know what carts are, but I could have just been erasing carts for hours on end or, or doing whatever, or brushing the dandruff off of his shoulder. But he sent me to do football games right away. And that was my first foray into radio. So uh, my radio career began in Arkansas when I went back to uh, to school. So hopefully that answers your question in terms of <laughs> I did not. I did not grow up in Arkansas, but my my radio career definitely got started there. 
Now, in the in the vast research that we do here at Just Another Why Guys podcast, I really dug in to to find out a lot of a lot of things about you. Uh, I I read an interview uh, that you did. I believe it was right after you took over uh, as uh, the director at uh, Hubbard, and it it talked about when you were a little kid, you used to do your own radio shows where you would get a tape recorder and you would record yourself. You'd do the news, you do the weather, you do the sports, uh, and, and you would record yourself doing that. And that really resonated with me because I, I would do similar things when I was, when I was little, I would had a, had a tape recorder and I would make up fake radio shows and, uh, you know, do broadcasts and stuff like that. And you also love to do the play by play. Do you by chance have any of those tapes still? <laughs> I wished I did. My when my grandmother, I did most of those at the little at the ranch that my grandparents owned in the hill country in Texas. Uh, my my mom was originally from San Antonio, and my her parents uh, stayed pretty much in that area. And so when they bought a ranch out in a little town called Blanco, uh, we used to go down there. I'd spend summers down there when I was a kid. I mean, literally, they would put me on a Greyhound bus. And you, you can't do that now. I'd be uh, child abuse. Right. Or, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be able to keep track of where your kid was. But they'd tell the driver, you know, watch this little hoodlum. Um, and they would put me on a bus and, and send me down there. And so during the day, if, you know, especially if you had to go out into the yard or whatever, you'd have to wear boots, even cowboy boots, even with shorts. But I would take the tape recorder outside on their patio or deck and I'd talk to the cows and I'd do radio shows. Uh, you know, I'd do the news, weather, traffic, sports and stuff like that. And my grandmother had those tapes for a long period of time, but when she passed away, I have no idea where they went. Uh, the biggest deal that you mentioned though, was when I did even up to, I was a weird, weird child. I'm a weird adult, quite frankly, but (laughs) I, we had a big yard at our house in North Richland Hills, which is a suburb of Fort Worth. And I would say even up until I was in high school, I, people in our neighborhood could attest to this. I played sports games in the front yard, and it was just me. And so if it was a football game, I was the announcer. I was the crowd. I was the officials. I was the ref. I was the players. Uh, I was everybody. And, you know, if I was, you know, lined up as a quarterback, I would be doing the play-by-play as I did it. I'd have the crowd noise. <sighs> you know, Johnson sets up under center. And I would do the whole thing as the quarterback. I'd throw it, and then I'd pass it to myself. It'd be incomplete. I was the crowd. I was the official. I did that. I had a Wimbledon deal where our yard was on the corner, and so I had partitioned off courts my dad hated me doing that because as you can see in Wimbledon the grass gets worn down and right. and stuff like that and I did that too there were like burn marks where I played tennis and stuff uh yeah I I was uh I was certainly drawn at a young age to being an announcer or doing radio or play-by-play whatever you want to call it uh yeah, I was strange. I'd still do it now if I could, if people wouldn't, you know, think too, you know, low of me. But with with the climate that we're in now, I think that would fall much lower on the weird scale than it might have, you know, even well, five I might or get, ten years ago. They, they probably should have medicated me uh, back then. Now I would be, I'd be easily diagnosed and probably medicated, and I'd be in the corner doing in the fetal position, you know, kind of rocking <laughs> back and forth. So. <laughs> Anyway, it was, uh, honestly, it was, uh, I, I, 
yeah, I, I had a, I had a ball and nobody, it, my parents talked about it for years and years. They couldn't punish me. Uh, cause if they sent me to my room, it was like, <laughs> solitude was never a problem for me. I was always making up, you know, right. sporting events or, or games or whatever. If you had a, if I had a tape recorder, a basketball hoop or anything, I was in hog heaven. Cause then I could, you know, do my own play by play. So yeah, I had a, I had a similar thing. I would play, you know, basketball and out on the front court and, you know, out in front of the house. And I would do I'm, – I'm from Oregon, and so I was a Portland Trailblazers fan, and I would listen to the great Bill Shonley. And if people don't know Bill Shonley's work, he has a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive play-by-play style. And so that would be burned in my head. And so I would do my own version of Bill Shonley, you know, pretending I was Clyde Drexler or Terry Porter or, you know, <laughs> whatever it was, you know, in the middle of, uh, the middle of uh, nowhere, Oregon. Uh, just by myself out in the front. I, that was something that you could just do for hours, and you know maybe a lot of other kids didn't do that, but you know that's well, I found, it's I different. Found it I mean, enjoyable. yeah, well, I mean, and, and now it's like you know I have two boys of my own; they're fifteen and ten, and if they don't have a screen in front of them occupying their time, you know they they run up to you and go, "I'm bored. We'll give me something to do." It's like you know back then you kind of had to make it all up, yeah. And we did. I mean, you know, it, we didn't. It didn't take much. I mean, whether you were on car trips we didn't have ipads or phones or or you know dvd portable screens and stuff like that to occupy us you sort of had to make it up on your own so i'd bug the crap out of my family even on car trips because i was the youngest of three kids and so they'd stuff me in the back of the uh of the big station wagon and i was in the back playing the uh the blanco 500 so i'd be doing play-by-play of us going by cars and, you know the other four people in the car would turn around and be like shut up God. <laughs> i was like i can't i need something to do yeah yeah so you it, used to have two always choices. been a part of me you used to have two choices as a kid uh when you would be in a car trip you could either you know make up a story in your head or the best for your parents was hey just go to sleep and it'll make the trip go faster well, that never that was never an option because my dad, being a minister and also just being a, a he was also a media hound too. In terms of uh, that, that's probably where I got my first love of radio because he would have the radio on all the time, and if it was late night, it would be Larry King or some Bob Costas special, or he would find some late night talk show on and or a game or something. And of course, being in the back of a station wagon. I got the brunt of that with those speakers in like, I remember this big Chevy Impala station wagon. I mean, it's just blowing my doors off. So sleep wasn't an option uh, when it came to some of those uh, car trips. So sometimes I would either try to drown whoever was talking out or you just had to absorb it and listen to what they were saying, even though I didn't have any clue as to what they were talking about. Uh, so you talked about growing up in, in North Richland Hills. So I, I would imagine that's where your, uh, love of the Dallas Cowboys began. A funny, funny thing. I hated the Cowboys when I was growing up. Um, and the reason is you're, you're not going to be surprised by this. I have opposition devi- defiance disorder. So wherever I am, I, I, I literally, I have a little bit of Skip Bayless in me. I like to put my thumb to the wind and then go the opposite direction. Not as much as Skip and I'm not as much of a douchebag, but, um, I hated the Cowboys because everybody liked the Cowboys. Right. So when I was growing up, I liked the Steelers because the Steelers routinely beat the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. So when I got to college, 
it was, you know, I was the, uh, when I went to Arkansas, I was the Texas kid. And so again, that opposition defiance thing, everybody just assumed that I was a Cowboys fan and would always rip on the Cowboys in front of me. So <laughs> I'm not sure why I didn't join in, in ripping the Cowboys. And this was about the time that Jerry Jones bought the team, 88, 89. I just decided to adopt them because they were all ripping on them. It's sort of like a family thing. It's like right. I can I can rip on my family. I can talk as bad as I want to about them, but if you do it, then I got a problem. And so I think that was sort of the MO for me. It doesn't make any sense and it's it's not rational at all. But I sort of then adopted the Cowboys, even though they were terrible for many, many years in the late 80s and very early 90s and so that's sort of where my love of the cowboys came from is just adopting them and sort of and ever since then i I, I, other than a short stint going back to the dallas fort worth area for for radio uh in 93 and 94 uh i've adopted i've been other places ever since and had to uh, sort of defend them (laughs) so i guess so i so i adopted them and and still love them i hate the owner but i love the team so I am I'm a proud proudly reformed Dallas Cowboys fan. I've I've kicked the habit. I <laughs> good I for was, you. Good for you. For a long time I was a, a Cowboys guy. I my uncle was stationed in Dallas Fort Worth in the early 70s and he developed his love of football then and became a Cowboys fan, and and he was like the cool uncle. So when I was a little kid, and we would go to his house, you know, he he would uh, he just had that coolness about him. And so I wanted to be like my uncle Mike. And Uncle Mike was a Cowboys fan, and so I had to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. And he had a uh, Dallas Cowboys sleeping bag that I would sleep in when we stayed over. And so I was like, well, I definitely have to be a Cowboys fan. And so <laughs> the benefit to me was when I started to remember you know my memories of that time were when they started to get good so it was the triplets it was troy and uh emmett yep. and, and, and michael, michael. And, and and when they were actually winning so that was you know cool because oh hey look i've i'm i'm a fan of a team that's actually winning something and then as i and got then, and, older and then and then they started uh, making well they were making criminal acts uh, even during that time so right. yeah they've definitely done enough to uh, to embarrass themselves and any fans it's like hey <laughs> i just like it for the football yeah i had <laughs> I'm to i'm not going to condone anything off the field yeah i had to I had to had to get off of get off of the jerry train and um there was a long time when i was when i was younger when i was you know 13 14 15 where i thought jerry jones was like the coolest guy because you know he just you know he had that you know, I'm Jerry Jones about him. He just has that Jerry Jones. He's just Jerry Jones a hundred percent of the time. Uh, yeah. And that, that's, that's what makes me hate him. Uh, and but. as I've gotten, as, as I've gotten older, it, it, it's something that I thought was cool is just kind of cringe worthy. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't need to deal with that at all. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's in some ways it's kind of fun to be a cowboy fan in in whatever, you know, foreign city, if you will, that, that I'm in. Cause you know, I don't, I, it's not like I find a lot of other cowboy fans to uh, commiserate with, but it's kind of fun. I mean, people rag on them all the time as both America's team, what's Jerry do, doing? And they just, they love to hate them. Um, and I honestly, I don't mind that at all. They bring it upon themselves with a lot of the decisions that they make either both on the field and off it 
with marketing and 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 whatnot. But and and you know, bigging. Uh, I don't know if you've been down to the AT and T Stadium. You know, building this uh, you know stadium that can be seen from space. Um, if you if you go down there and look, it's it's probably less than a mile away from the Rangers' home, current home anyway, the ballpark in Arlington. The ballpark, the the, the baseball park looks like a little kid field. I mean, it looks like a little dump compared to this Taj Mahal that is about a mile away. That is so ginormous, you know. As they the old cliche, everything's bigger in Texas. Well, this is you know, jumbo size, it's big gulp size. Uh, they went over and above what they needed to in terms of building a, a stadium. And that lends itself to people just being critical. So I get it, you know, but I still like them. They're my hometown team. Like I said, it's turned into more of a, it's like a family thing. If people are going to be critical of them, I'm going to defend them just because that's where I'm from. And if you want to, if you want to go anywhere where there's a bastion of hatred towards the Cowboys, all you got to do is come and live here in Houston for a while. And I, <laughs> I, Cowboys Cowboys fans are one thing, but I and Marty, I know you're listening to this podcast because I you, you're one of my closest friends and I love you that you listen to my podcast, but you Houston sports fans are some of the most annoying people I've ever met in my life. You have such a chip on your shoulder. You've won championships. Just take a breath. It's okay. You know, I everyone's going to talk about Dallas. That's fine. Embrace the fact that everyone's going to talk about a team that's not as good as your teams, and enjoy your championships. So just pump the. Yeah, brakes. you can you can fill in the blanks on that one though. Even being up here in Minnesota for so long, it's if it's not them, it's Wisconsin fans. So yeah. it's 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 everywhere. Everybody thinks that they've got the the market cornered on, you know, whether their team gets no love or that the team that's closest to them is you know the most annoying team on the planet or their fans are something like that I, my experience is that you could fill in the blank on that one that's pretty much everywhere Packers fans are pretty terrible though <laughs> no comment <laughs> they, uh, so you 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 uh you, you went to high school in in the Dallas area and then you went you went over yep. to Arkansas and, and went to college that in you had mentioned that was you you got some scholarships or just some monetary help to go there that was that was yeah I I had I had this dream of being, uh, I was in, in high school. I was a very, I was a really good baseball player. I didn't enjoy playing baseball as much as I did basketball. And as a five, nine white dude, uh, you're not going to get very many colleges looking at you for scholarships, especially athletic scholarships on the basketball side. I went to a very small junior college, uh, which was within the, the, um, the faith and the, uh, uh, you know, ministry of my dad's work, it was a little Southern Baptist junior college, but they had a really good basketball program. And I went there and, and was going to try to walk on. And that, that, after playing a few pickup games, I was good, but these guys were fantastic. Uh, they were just much better than me. And that's really where I, I always knew I wanted to be in broadcasting anyway. And so the team knew that, and they made me, for the first time ever, I became the first student public address announcer. So while I was also doing high school football games for this local radio station, I became the public address announcer. And occasionally I'd go to practice and play pickup games and stuff like that. But they gave me some academic help um, because I was a reasonably good student who liked to cheat a lot and apparently had good grades <laughs> in high school. But um, that's really where my, you know, I, I kind of 
at, at some point, every kid, even if they're a, a really good athlete has to drop the, uh, you know, the dream and, and focus on more towards what they can really do in life. And that's, that's when it happened for me. The good news for me was that it was early. It was my freshman year. I didn't have to, I didn't get led along or led down a road where either injuries or just flat out not making a team or just being awful, uh, you know, in games where people were like, what's he doing on the court? So I went and played uh, intramurals and at times scored 30 and 40 points a game and it was fun. Um, but yeah, I, I knew right then and there, I was never going to be able to play on the intercollegiate level, but I could certainly do all of the things, whether it was, you know, being an announcer at the local radio station or, and I had a ball man doing PA, uh, public address stuff for a basketball team is a hoot. Uh, I, I, I ate it up. Um, you know, I came up with nicknames for some of the guys that was at the same time. I don't know if you remember or old enough to remember Steve Kerr was playing at Arizona. He was, uh, or he just finished playing at Arizona was probably about to embark on his professional career. And in Arizona, whenever that public address announcer would say his name, he would say, Steve Kerr, and the crowd would mimic him and go, Steve Kerr. Well, I had a couple of guys that I did that for at the junior college that I was at, and I would say their name, and then the crowd would mimic me, and we would do it. So we developed a couple of cool things doing that. So I was having a ball, uh, you know, doing that kind of stuff. So that's why I went to the small school that I went to, and then after that, I went to another Obviously, with it being a junior college, I could only be there for two years. Got my gen ed stuff out of the way. Uh, went to another small town, which had another radio station or two more radio stations. Now, they didn't like to do sports that much. So I that's where I got started doing music radio uh, and started on my 10-year foray into doing uh, uh, probably every format under the sun uh, when I got to this one radio station they were doing oldies. Uh, they quickly figured out that that wasn't going to work. We did top 40. Then we switched to country. So we, we had actually um, done three different formats within, I think, 13 months. So I, my indoctrination into uh, music radio and into a lot of different formats had already begun. So by the time I got out of school in, in 92, uh, I had already had four years of pretty significant, albeit small market radio experience, but doing a number of different things. So directly after you graduated, did you stay in Arkansas and keep working there? Or is that when you went over and, and started working in Dallas? Um, a quick uh, a quick side note is that obviously when you, especially at that time, when you got a communications degree with an emphasis in broadcasting, uh, God bless him, my professor was pointing most everybody towards television, radio. It was radio. It was deemed wasn't necessary. I mean, unless you got to the big time radio wasn't necessarily going to pay you a whole lot of anything. And you know this as well as I know this, is that b broadcasting, no matter what, un unless you really make it big, you shouldn't get into it because you, you want to make a lot of money. You should get into it because you have the bug and because you love it. Um, so I was kind of being pointed, even though I had all this experience in radio, I was kind of being pointed towards a TV career. So I had all these TV packages that I did while we were in college and stuff. And so when I got, when I graduated, I went back home, actually uh, uh, backtrack, just a brief step. I had an offer from a station, not too far from where I was going to school in Monroe, Louisiana. And I kid you not, they offered me $11,000 
a year for a full-time uh, TV reporting job. Mm. And I said, uh, <laughs> to keep it as clean as possible, I said, no bleeping way. Um, I, can't, I can't eat beanie weenies and live in a mobile home on that. So I moved back home thinking, okay, I'd have a better chance of getting a job either as a an underling reporter, entry level. Texas is a big state. I can go anywhere I want. I've got no ties. I've got no strings. I can go anywhere. So I just, and back then it wasn't the digital age. We didn't have computers. We didn't have email. You couldn't send stuff off um, digitally in terms of, of uh, video and whatnot. So you literally had these three quarter inch tapes and I had a car full of them and I would just send them off with my resume. And you basically waited for the phone to ring. Um, and it, never or hardly ever rang. I got a few things back in the mail, which said, you know, Hey, your stuff looks good, but we just really don't have a a spot for you. And so I started working at a Christian music radio station in the Dallas Fort Worth area, just doing part-time stuff and doing some other, I actually got a job as, as an accountant, which I had no business doing. (laughs) I had no experience whatsoever, but it, you know, and wearing a, a, a suit and tie every day and, it was awful. I had no business doing it, but I got a job through somebody at our church and they were, you know, they felt pity on me, but I was doing part-time radio work on the weekends. Um, and that's a, that's a longer tale than you probably got time for in terms of how that morphed into, uh, a company called children's broadcasting and a format called radio Oz which I then, you know, I stayed at that station, became a full-time member. They, they bought the station that I was at in Dallas, Fort Worth, moved me up to Minnesota. I became the morning show host for a national network. Uh, it just, that all just, it was a snowball effect. And, and obviously I've been in Minnesota since 94 and then joining Hubbard in 98 after uh, Radio Oz went belly up. That... So you you were involved in a Christian radio format for a really long time, or not a really long time, but like five six uh, I years. Say, no, not no, 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 not that long. Uh, I I joined that radio station in ninety two. Okay. And then they were bought, and I also worked at a company called USA Radio Network, which was a very conservative network. They did news and and talk shows and stuff like that. Um, in Dallas. And I worked there as a producer for a little while. No, I would say my, my, my time in Christian radio was pretty short and I'll give you a big reason why it's not because I didn't like the format or didn't like the people or anything, you know, they, and I could say this truthfully, and I've told people in the industry, they thought that it, you would, you should view it more as a mission instead of a job or a vocation. And right. so they paid really, really, really poorly. <laughs> um, you just couldn't. You just couldn't make a, a good living at right. it. Uh, I've stayed at it in terms of part time, but once Children's Broadcasting bought it and they turned it into a kids' radio station, and that was uh, you know a, a full time job for me, and I did really well at it. Had a ball. I mean, who you know they paid me decent money, uh, you know, as a as a first time full time guy in '93. Um, I I had a ball at it. It was you know they pay they were paying me to goof off and and do character voices and stuff like that to where by the time 1994 rolled around, they were like, we want you to move up to the, to the flagship uh, in Minnesota in 94. So no, my time in Christian radio was very brief. Um, it was at, at, by radio standards or by any standards. Uh, it was probably a year, year and a half. So when you, when they call you up to Minnesota, is that, uh, 
Would you ever imagine that you would still be there now? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I thought I might be up here for a few years. Uh, you know, you think to yourself when you get into the business and in the industry that you're going to have to make a couple of big moves, especially when you're single and don't have any, uh, you know, as I said before, any ties. Um, you know, anything holding you back from moving across country. So when I moved to Minnesota, I thought, yeah, you know, it's a good career move. I'm, I'm coming up here to be the creative director for a network. I'm, uh, I became the morning show host not that long after. I was the voice of the national character that they had. Um, no, not at all. In fact, uh, the, the tricky part was I knew it was cold up here, but the first winter kind of lulled me into a false sense of security because that was a, I don't know if it was a La Nina or an El Nino winter, but it was pretty benign by Minnesota standards. And so I was like, well, this is not, this is not much, you know, it didn't, it hardly ever got below zero. We didn't have that much snow. And so I thought I can handle this. It was the next winter. And I think I got uh, pneumonia or bronchitis or something. It was just so cold. And we got, you know, a couple of feet of snow at a time. And it was just like, Oh, so this is what winter can be that you, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of go, I, I don't know how much longer I can stay here, but yeah, I met my wife here. Uh, we did a morning show together on radio Oz for, for several years. Um, you know, when we, when, when that network, uh, went under, I had a chance to go to other markets, but our relationship was growing to the point where I was like, well, you know, if I can, I'd like to stay here. And when KSTP uh, AM 1500 came calling and wanted me to be on the morning show uh, and that, that gave me the chance to stay here, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. Um, and obviously joining them and that show in 1998, I didn't think I'd be there very, very long either because, you know, you're a morning show talent. You're kind of a producer. I was doing bits uh, and character voices and parody songs and stuff like that. I was having a ball. Um, I didn't think I'd be there very long either and 20 years later yeah <laughs> i was like you know that's quite the run at one uh, in one building so yeah you never really think you're going to be anywhere very long especially when you make a huge move like the one i did from the dallas fort worth area to uh, to minneapolis but you just never know you know things can work out in such a different way than you're uh, than you're prepared for and sometimes that can be a, a very cool thing because you know it's only when you've sort of put limitations on yourself and think, well, I'm just going to be here for two years and then I'll, I'll do something else. It's like, what if that morphs into something really cool and you really, you find out you really like it. So I've tried to be really open with, uh, you know, where I've been at and what's, uh, what the possibilities are. KSTP has had, you know, before, before the switch over to the sports format, there was a, you know, just a, list of interesting characters that worked on those radio shows you know you had uh, joe sushre you had mitchkey yeah you, you know all these all these you know really interesting dude characters. dude yes dude those are those are the sane ones are you kidding me we had <laughs> i worked with uh those those are the uh those are the uh, uh the cool guys you, you know i worked with barbara carlson uh, I think you were there when when Willie Clark was there, uh, Preble and Murphy. Uh, good God, I'm trying to think of some of the others that have run through there. It, it was insane. Some of the uh, the characters that have been that have been on the air there. I mean, when I got there, we had it was Babs and the Boys. I, we were on in the mornings, and then we had a couple of syndicated shows: Doctor Laura and Rush, and then it was Joe. 
Souchere, and then it was Jason Lewis, and then it was Mishki. We had Bob Davis. Bob Davis is a character. God, that dude, he's crazy. Um, we've had a number of different, Turi Ryder, God, she's crazy. She is, uh, wow. Yeah, we've had, a, we, I've run across a number of people who were either criminally insane doing radio or just, you know, uh, I, I don't even know what the word is uh, in terms of some of the characters that have run through there, but they did good radio. They were, you know, they were interesting to listen to, you know, before my time, it was Don Vogel. Um, there were just some, uh, they had the ability to find <laughs> some insane people to do radio, but it was always interesting. It was always compelling. Uh, yeah, I've worked with some, uh, I mean, and Royce tops, tops them all. I mean, we can talk about Sushere is a, uh, an interesting guy and he's certainly got a great imagination for creating a fictional town that he's mayor over and, and all of the, the lexicon and, and subtleties that go with, uh, with garage logic, if you will. But there is no better, no more interesting, fascinating, funny, uh, opinionated guy than, than Patrick Royce. He is, he, to me is the end all and be all of characters that have ever been on the radio. Cause he's not afraid of anything. Um, and he's so, but he's so genuine. Uh, he just, he doesn't care. He's, he is himself and he's not trying to replicate or copy anyone. Uh, he is truly an original and, uh, you know, when he goes, uh, he probably won't even outlive Sid Hartman here, but, uh, Patrick is, he's probably my favorite radio character of all time. And that's, that's one of the things that more people should pay attention to. Patrick isn't a gimmick. Patrick is Patrick. No. So yeah. you just – so many people have to either cloak themselves in a persona or a gimmick or they have to come up come up with an angle or something like that. And it it never has the the truth and honesty that Patrick Royce has. And it's – Well, he he's, is, he's – He's just authentic. Yeah, go ahead. He's just an authentic – he is a curmudgeon, but he has he has a point of view, and he is articulate and smart, and he'll just go with whatever he has to say. Yeah, and and to your point, it's it's so many people are to to their credit, they are students of whether it's radio or or print, you know, a columnist or somebody on television, you know, when you're young and impressionable, or even when you're you know middle-aged and, and trying to make your way, um, you, you sort of try to pay attention to the landscape and, and who's successful and whatnot and why, but sometimes people get caught in a trap of trying to replicate that. Um, you know, uh, for years and years, there were so many Rush Limbaugh wannabes. I'm not saying from the conservative standpoint, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, whether it was Ed Schultz or whomever, they tried to copy the formula that made yep. Rush, you know, what he was. Or on the TV side, somebody trying to copy, copy Oprah or whatever. There are just way too many copycats when it came to the, – think about this, the Sports Center anchors. Yep. The best of the bunch was Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s. Those guys were just insane, but they did their own thing. And then it seemed like everybody wanted to copy them. Yep. And nobody came up with their own shtick or were really authentic and original uh, and unique. And, and that's what I think we, we sort of got into. I, I think the landscape today is really interesting. Um, 
I don't know that we have too many transcendent, you know, personalities and characters as much as people are falling in love with the technology and where you can get uh, content as opposed to who the real compelling figures are, you know, whether it's podcasting or, uh, you know, video on demand or, or apps and stuff like that. There, there, we seem to be in this wave of falling in love with more of the technology than we are with the, uh, uh, the content itself and the individuals. But, you know, it, it's, it is saying something when you can point back to somebody like a Roy C or, or these guys, they did it, you know, they made it because they were true originals. They didn't try to copy anybody else. And it's really easy to look at somebody like that and say, that's what I want to be. And then you try to, instead of emulating, but being yourself, it's really difficult to do that instead of just trying to copy them. When you talk about copycats and radio, I mean, no, no person for a morning show was probably copied more than Howard Stern and everyone and their mother wanted some sort of, you know, morning zoo sort of thing after his show took off. Um, and that was, that was just not something that you could replicate in an authentic way because he was, Howard's a weird dude, but he has, he has something to say, you know, and it's, if you just try well, to, he, if you just try to be, whether, whether you like what he's saying or like any of the stuff that he's doing, he had his way of doing things. And at the time that was something new. And you, then you have all these other people that come, you know, Mark and Brian's and the morning zoos and that the Z 100s and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's all trying to do a version of something that's already well-known and popular that isn't as good. Well, the thing about Howard that a lot of people don't recognize that I think is truly his gift is not necessarily all of the raunchy stuff or whatever. If people will pay closer attention, Howard Stern is one of the best interviewers on the planet. When he has guests and he does it in such a way where you don't know he's doing it. You just think he's visiting with someone because it's so conversational, but he asks the best questions pertaining to who these people are. Now, will he throw in a Molotov cocktail that, that blows up the room and sometimes throws them off? Absolutely. But he's doing it. There's a method to the madness, but I think that's the one area that people don't give him near enough credit for. Sure. He got his start. And he began uh, making news and, and making inroads and, and climbing the ladder from, from all of the stunts that he would pull on the air or some of the things that he would say. And sure, he's incredibly uh, authentic and opinionated and just, you know, he has no filter. But I think if people really want to go back, I think when, when you talk about his legacy, uh, I, I, I think when he has a guest on or he has somebody visiting with him in studio or on the phone it doesn't matter he he brings out the best in them and it brings out the best in his show i think his questions and and the way that his conversational style in which he talks to them is unmatched in in the biz he's he's the best long-form interviewer maybe of anyone in history yeah he brings the people into his show i mean they become a part of his show as opposed to a, a a Q and a it, it, it turns out that they've, if you just tuned in 
apropos of nothing, if you were in the middle of that, you would think if you didn't know the voice and you didn't know who they were, it doesn't sound like an interview at all. It sounds like they've become a character or playing a role on his show for the end purpose of entertainment. Uh, I, I think it's one of the, the, the greatest attributes uh, he has is his ability to bring someone in for a guest spot and they just become an integral part of his show that day. I have a number of, of, you know, quote unquote famous people or whatever that I had, you know, either a, I didn't really care so much or no real opinion about them at all that he had brought on. And then you're like, Oh wow, this person is really cool. A perfect example for me would be he had Lady Gaga on five or six years ago. I thought Lady Gaga was just, the girl in the meat dress who was a total gimmick and didn't, you know, and he sat down, he had her sit down. They talked for like an hour. She was super interesting, introspective, well thought out, all of this great stuff. And then she went and played a song on a piano, just her, nothing else and blew the doors off. And I'm like, yeah, wow. Like, because you can't get that in a seven minute phone interview or a guest spot on the tonight show, any of those, sort. you can't get that that depth that's where his format and his style can really bring you in and and it allows you to get to know someone on a whole different level and that's that's how i convinced my wife to to even pay attention to howard at all and then she became a really big howard stern fan and he yeah he just he probably never will get the credit for that that he deserves but people no, people that un- know it's people, understated yeah yeah but people that know and understand will 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 always be able to appreciate that yeah no doubt he's uh he he has the ability to make it they make an investment by being there but he and it's not so much that it becomes a comfortable environment you know that they're that they're they feel you know completely comfortable in it he just he has a way of breaking the ice where all of a sudden they're like okay we're gonna go there um and they allow themselves to do that. They trust that when they go there and they know what, you know, his show is about and they know what he's about in terms of, of the types of things that he likes to talk about. First of all, you don't go in there without knowing. So there's an investment there by the, by the guest and saying, you know, we're going to get down to brass tacks here. We're going to talk about things that I would never be able to talk about with anyone else. So that you've already broken away that filter. He's, yeah. he's, uh, he's done that and has that reputation and respect from people who, who go in. It's not like anybody goes in there going, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. I mean, has anybody ever you know, in the past 10 to 15 years ever been offended by a question from Howard Stern? No, because they go in knowing there's no limits to what we can talk about. So therefore they allow themselves to go there. They wouldn't do that with any other host. Yeah, for sure. Now you, when you went to Hubbard, you, you had mentioned that you were on the morning show. You kind of then started to transition more into like production work and stuff like that, right? I had always been a producer, to be honest with you. I had always loved, I think, if you want to go way back to, to where you and I started our conversation, I don't think, because for the longest time, myself, my parents, and anybody who would listen thought that I was going to be a play-by-play guy. Um, I was going to grow, I mean, everybody who, you know, they just knew I had the voice, I had the acumen, I, I was a sports guy. I was going to be a play-by-play guy. And really what was happening when I was a kid, when I created all of these, whether it was my own newscast or whether it was my own environment for a game in my front yard, you know, 
it was this theater of the mind that they always talk about in terms of radio. I was creating my own space and my own world. And I think I always had that. And so when I got into radio and I was allowed to, when I first started really understanding or kind of scratching the surface of what that meant was when I was at Radio Oz in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as this local production and program director leading this group of kids, you know, in terms of teaching them radio and getting them to be on the air and stuff like that. And then doing my own character voices and doing just all out fun radio shows. It was sort of like Nickelodeon meets radio. Um, I think that's where I started to scratch the surface. So I always had it within me that I wanted to do really creative work to, to break barriers when it came to, to bits and, and parody songs and stuff like that. So I always had that with me. That was part of the reason why they hired me at, uh, at 1500 to be on the morning show was we wanted to do a very, uh, a very newsy, uh, relevant topics, um, you know, front page headlines, but also political show. And so almost on a daily basis, uh, I would come in with an idea for how to, to do a bit, a quick stinger or, or you know, send off of something. I remember one time we were the 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 subject for the next day was going to be the very entertaining uh dram shop law and for people who don't know dram shop is the uh bartenders not being able to serve someone when they know that they're already intoxicated and there was some kind of a a, a front page story about a bartender in some suburb who had served somebody whether knowingly or unknowingly, they went out and got into a, a, a car accident and killed somebody. And so it was a huge front page story. But we were talking about it from the standpoint of just dram shop law. It wasn't a fun story to talk about. But I came back with a dram shop quartet uh, based on barber shop quartet. So I <laughs> sort of turned it on its head and made this whole, you know, parody uh, commercial about, you know, all their greatest hits, the dram shop quartet, you know. And, and did all these songs with, you know, just uh, a, a little bit of music, but mostly uh, like a barbershop quartet singing on the corner. And I did, hey, bartender, this drink you made is great. You know, and so I did this whole parody commercial based on that. That was where I had the most fun in radio was creating bits off of what was relevant in the news because it just made stories then come alive. You could have fun with it. It was a good, entertaining piece. It was not unlike what happens on, you know, late night television now, whether it's Jimmy Fallon or, or some of the others, uh, what they're doing. But, you know, that's what that's to me was what morning show radio should be and what radio had become for me. So, yeah, I, I sort of had always navigated uh, or been drawn magnetically to the creative side. And and as you said, um four years into doing that morning show, they plucked me off of it in 2000, late 2001 and early 2002 uh, to do, uh, to be the creative director for the station. You, and that was a position that you held in, until you became the, pro, the uh, program director, right? Um, you could say, and, and not be wrong that I held it until I left there just a few months ago. Okay. <laughs> um, I, so when I became, I became the imaging and creative director in 2002, to a certain extent, I never dropped the, the, either of those titles, even though I added a few along the way, I became the assistant program director 
in 2003 or four, I can't remember which it's been a while. Uh, I started doing also Sunday sports talk with Roycey and, uh, and Jim Suhan. So I also had a show that I was doing on the weekends, um, which at, at one time became very successful doing what we were doing. Um, no, when we flipped formats in 2010, uh, I remember when I was offered the job of program director late in that year that the the general manager slash market manager asked me, so, well, you know, something's got to give. You can't keep doing all of this because at that time I was the assistant program director. I was the creative director. I was the imaging director and I was doing Sunday sports talk, you know, so, uh, you know, you, uh, you mentioned before we went on the air working 12 hours a day. I was certainly working 12 to 14 hours a day, loving it, mind you, but I also wasn't seeing my family. Right. And he said, something's got to give. And I said, well, you know, I can certainly take myself off of Sunday sports talk. And, and, you know, he, and I said, I could, I could hire someone to come in and do the, cause at the time being the creative director also meant I was doing all of the commercials uh, for AM 1500. So I was producing all of the, uh, spots. Um, so I, uh, was given the, uh, latitude and freedom to hire someone. So I hired Tony Lee, who uh, was sort of a contemporary of mine. He had been doing morning show work on KQ for a long time. He was at, I think WCCO, uh, when I, uh, hired him away from there and I had him come do mainly the commercial production work, but I kept all of the imaging I did all of the opens and closes for shows. If people don't understand what imaging is, I did all of the elements. I, I handled all of the bumper music. The basically the, the you know as far as an imaging director is concerned or a creative director is the entire sound of the station, the personality of the station, the attitude of the station. That was all me, and I kept that until you know when I was let go just a few months ago. So now. There was uh, a program director in place when I worked there. His name was Steve Conrad. He yep. he he got in a motorcycle accident, right? And that's that is correct. That, that's why he a, he kind of he because he was actually work. He he was doing that job, got in the accident, and then unfortunately couldn't continue to do that job. That is correct. That was a it was a a, a very significant event, um, both along the station's uh, history and quite honestly, for my, uh, arc, uh, uh, you know, of employment there. Um, I'm not, I, I say this as a caveat, it's not meant to diminish him in any way, shape or form or whatever. I'm not positive. He would have been a great fit ultimately for a sports station. Um, he was really a news nerd. <laughs> um, and I say that affectionately. Uh, I, <laughs> the funny thing is I had worked for Steve in two different stints. He was the one who hired me originally in 1998 for that morning show Babs and the boys. And then he left and, and went away for many years and worked in at, at news talk stations in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth and in Columbus, Ohio. And then he came back in 2005 and we worked together for, for all those years. And then in 2010, yes, we were transitioning to be a sports station. And before we flipped the switch to be 1500 ESPN, he got in a just horrific a uh, motorcycle accident uh, on a on a metro freeway. Uh, he was wearing his helmet, and it, but it it left him in a coma for a couple of months. Uh, we didn't know whether he was going to live or die, to be honest with you. But it, it turned out he was he was going to live, but not in the same way that that he had been. Uh, there was significant 
uh, physical injury and definitely a brain injury there that was just not going to be fully recovered from. Um, so he, by the, by the middle to latter portion of that year, we kind of knew that he wasn't going to be able to make it back fully. And even to this day, um, uh, you know, I'm still, I still have great conversations with him and, and, uh, correspondence with him, but you know, obviously he's just, he's never been able to come back. He's, he's living off of disability for the rest of his life because of that, uh, that motorcycle accident. But, uh, I'd be lying if I said that didn't open up the door for me, uh, to become the program director, but in all bluntness and honesty, I don't know. I don't know if that would have been a, a great fit for him. He might've been frustrated by the sports aspect of it. Cause he was a real, he was a news talk guy. He loved news. <laughs> I mean, he would spend hours reading the newspapers in the morning and, you know, going in and telling guys what to talk about and stuff like that. I'm not positive. He would have, uh, been as great at the at the sports side of it but we'll never know we'll never know and that's too bad because he was uh he was a really good boss and he was a, a better human being when you guys made the switch to the all sports format what what goes into a, a process like that i mean obviously it's not you don't just come in one day like yeah we're going to switch to espn we're you know we're going to do sports um what's uh what pointed you guys in that direction to be like hey, let's let's move away from from what we're doing with, with, uh, you know, cause you guys had Dave Ramsey and, um, you know, garage, garage logic has always, uh, you know, remained a focal point of the radio station, but in a lot of ways you guys kind of moved away from the talk format. Was it, was it just the fracturing of audiences and there's, you have so many radio state, we have radio stations that are going super conservative and you have, yep. you know, and it's all super liberal on one side and, Yep, you know, you you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I'll take you back to when I first got there in '98. I call the years between '98 and 2002 the Nirvana of talk radio for for the Twin Cities, and yet for just for talk radio in general, but especially for Minnesota. In '98, Jesse Ventura was elected governor. That in and of itself blew everyone's doors off and became uh, entertainment 101. I mean, you you had something new every day with the uh, with Jesse the body as your, as your governor in 99, we had the impeachment of Bill Clinton. That was fun. Uh, if not great for the country, it was great for talk radio yep. in 2000. You had the disputed election between Bush and Gore that lasted. A lot of people don't remember. We didn't know. We, we didn't know who the president was going to be for a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was insane. We sent, we sent our show down to Florida. Um, to do uh, to do shows uh, during December when they couldn't figure out how in the world they were going to figure this thing out. In 2001, obviously, it was 9-11. Uh, 2002, what uh, the nation may not have been captivated by, but what we were was Wellstone, Paul Wellstone and uh, Norm Coleman, and then Wellstone dies in a tragic plane crash during the campaign. Right. Um, those four years... We had, and because 1500 um, KSTP had sort of owned the, the, not only the conservative talk landscape, but just the talk landscape. Well, other companies are not stupid. You know, they, they might be behind, but they're not stupid. So they started their own, you know, whether it was the Patriot coming in. Uh, I think they came into the market in 2003, 2004. 
And then in 2005, um, Clear Channel um, actually had been, the predecessor was Chancellor, then it became Clear Channel. They owned Premier Radio Networks. And when our contract with Rush Limbaugh came up, they decided to take him away from us and put him on one of their own stations and on FM. And so in 2000, and then they took Sean Hannity away too. And Jason Lewis had since left. So all of a sudden in 2005, this radio station that had just killed it for seven years, all of a sudden really didn't have an identity. We were a talk station and we certainly had, certainly had a legacy as, you know, 1500 in the market, but we didn't have an identity. We weren't the conservative talk station anymore. Rush was on another station. Hannity was on another station. The Patriot was right of right uh, in terms of what we were doing. So we were left sort of, you know, out there kind of flailing in the wind as far as what we had. We still had Joe and we still had Mishki, but that just wasn't going to be enough. Uh, we got the twins and this was a big deal in terms of our evolution to get to your point of, of how we got to the sports station or how we got to, to be a, 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 an affiliate of ESPN and turn to sports talk. We, we, uh, we became the flagship. We took the twins away from WCCO, which they had been there for 50 years since the early sixties. Um, and so we had the twins and they were really good. They, they competed, if not won division titles between 2006 and 2010, almost every year. Yep. So by the time we got to late 2009, early 2010, um, and I wish I could tell you I was part of those conversations, but I wasn't quite high enough on the food chain to, to be in there, but I certainly was privy to them. Um, I think the powers that be, uh, you know, upper management and in fact, Ginny Morris, uh, you know, Stanley Hubbard's daughter who runs the radio division said, you know, we're not, we're just not cutting it as a talk station anymore. There's no landscape that we own. Um, you know, we were not, we were best known for being the home of the twins. Yep. So they, they took the three things that we did well at the time, which was garage logic, not, it's not a sports show, but you know, for, for purposes of this, this exercise, Saturday sports talk with Joe and Pat had always been a mainstay. It was an iconic program with iconic personalities and then the twins. And they thought, and with KFAN also being on the AM in the market, not being that they, they were the only sports station in town. So they could, they could pick and choose from all of the uh, sports networks kind of a la carte, right. whether it was uh uh, Fox at the time, I think Sporting News even had a, a channel, Westwood One, and then ESPN. And I think ESPN really wanted a full-time home. And so it was, an, it was just an easy, it was a great fit at the time. It was just say, hey, we'll become your, your uh, ESPN home in the Twin Cities. We have all these sports shows that already work, and we'll just integrate Garage Logic into the, uh, uh, into the mix. Uh, you know, even if it's not a sports show, it can be a show for guys who like sports, if you will. Right. Um, so that was kind of the thinking as, as far as why that happened. But, and then more specifically to your question, it takes, by the time we made the announcement in January of 2010, until we kicked things off in April, uh, later that year, um, I think we were working 14 and 16 hour days to change all of the logos. Uh, I was working behind the scenes to do all of the imaging. Uh, we changed voices for the station. We created new promos. I mean, everything, new clocks, everything has to change. 
uh, new shows, hiring new talent. Um, it's, it's a full, it's a full renovation, uh, when it comes to a radio station, when they change formats and, and it was, it was exhausting work, but by the time we got it on the air, I I was really proud of what we, what we had accomplished and what we had done. Yeah. At that time, at that time, ESPN was really going to, they were trying to launch like local ESPNs. You had ESPN New York, you had ESPN Dallas, yep. ESPN Chicago, and I mean it just makes sense to to have you know an an ESPN in Minnesota. I mean, sports fans in Minnesota are a different breed, and they if you give them good content, they will buy in and they will support it. And it, it I you know had I been at you know, a voice at ESPN, I would have said, Hey, that's a market we should probably try to get into. Yeah, I, I would, I would take that a, a step further. Um, and I say this with all due respect to Minnesota sports fans, they're bandwagon other than the Vikings, they're bandwagon fans. Uh, they, if they are, if there are relevant, good teams, they, their, their passion exceeds, if not meets a lot of other markets, but if the teams aren't very good, uh, it's like crickets, uh, and we found that out just with the 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 rolling roller coaster of ratings when it came to certain teams. A case in point would be the difference between the Twins in 2010 and 2011. In 2010, they were they opened up a new stadium, Target Field. They were really good. They had a great season. In fact, it might have been as far as regular seasons go. I'd have to check against uh, you know the record books but it might have been their best regular season ever in terms of wins and losses uh they were just so good and then they went up against the yankees and lost then promptly lost three straight as they are wont to do but it was it was just a, a a signature season ratings were through the roof for us and everything 2011 they you know expectations are high as they are with a lot of teams in you know spring training and whatnot and then april and may are are you know <laughs> bring you back down to reality and they they never got going that year they they just were awful they were just terrible it was the nishioka year uh playing second base um i think that was the year that justin morneau had uh concussion issues and joe mauer i think that might have even been the year he had bilateral leg weakness which became a uh, a very fun buzz uh, phrase, but they were awful. And our ratings then replicated that. It, by by the time it was May and June, it was like year to date. I was like, where did everybody go? Right, uh, They're gone. Uh, so it sort of taught me in terms of, yeah, I mean, the Twins are a, are a heritage foundation, albeit back to the 60s or whatever. But, I mean, you know, they're second best in the market in terms of, I, I think, fan interest to the Vikings. Um, they, they just weren't there. And it happens year after year. If you look at the other sports franchises in town, if they're not relevant, th- they get very little. You may still fill the building per se, but ratings for TV and for radio go way, way down. Uh, the Gopher football program, the University of Minnesota here, um, if they don't see a couple of wins in the Big Ten to get them excited uh, early on in the season, they'll just leave in droves. And you could see it. Their attendance, I think the Star Tribune came out with an article, their attendance was at an all-time low wow. this year um, in terms of fan interest. So Minnesota fans are very fickle. They are, they're good fans when teams are relevant and or successful. 
uh, when they're not, they, they have other options. <laughs> they'll go to the Guthrie, you know, I don't know what they'll do, but they've got other things to do with their time than go to sporting <laughs> events. So, well, I've, I've kept you here for an hour talking about radio. And if there's people still listening to this, uh, you know, I appreciate that because I'm a nerdy radio. <laughs> this if is, there's people still listening, God bless you. There's, this is, this has gone into the weeds and I could keep going. I, I could just keep going down in the weeds and, and, just be riveted because I love to hear stories like this. And you know what it means. You know what it means, Dustin. What's it means that? you have to have me. You ha- you have to have me back. We have to have. I have to be a recurring guest. Uh, you know, a few weeks or months down the road, we have to come back and explore other topics. We haven't even gotten into my my Twitter sphere because so, you know. <laughs> so what you're what you're saying is that you would like to come back. I would love to. I love this. I love. Listen, I got nothing else to do right now other than uh, take care of my family and uh, make sure my. You you haven't heard my dog bark. I think our new dog collar is working. The uh, the bark collar. You know what's interesting? <laughs> otherwise, is, she'd go nuts. But uh, my dog has not made an appearance on this podcast, and I think he's made an appearance like seven podcasts in a row. So we're breaking a streak here. So <laughs> it's uh that's because it's too cold. He doesn't want he's to get out riveted. of bed. Either that or he's riveted to what I'm saying. Yes, he is. That is definitely the case. Uh, there's, you know, 20, 30 other topics that we can get into, but we'll cut it off here. Give you an opportunity to talk more the next time that you're definitely on it. And you have an open invitation anytime you want to talk. Anytime you get that little itch where, like, you want to do an hour of radio, pretend radio, as I like to call it, for the uh, – the tens and tens of people that listen to this podcast, you're welcome back <laughs> anytime that you want to come back and, uh, and we'll do it. So real quick, before we get out of here, uh, you are, we, when we planned this, you wanted to make sure that we were done before Eagles Cowboys kicked off. And we're almost done before uh, the first slate of games kicked <laughs> off. But uh, I, what, uh, what's going to happen in the Eagles Cowboys game? This this will be up after the fact, so we'll know whether or not you were really wrong. Yeah, we'll know whether I whether I know what I'm talking about or whether my predictions come true. Which, by the way, I'm I'm proven wrong almost on a weekly basis because I thought they would just get murdered or annihilated by the Saints, um, and they you know found a way to shut them down and, and win that game. Um, they are such a Jekyll and Hyde team. If if they can run the football. I mean, and this sounds really simplistic. It looks like I'm breaking news here. If if they can run the football, they will win it. They will win. Period. Because they'll keep the ball away from the other offense. Their defense will have a chance. Their defense is good, but if you keep that defense as, as like any other mediocre defense, if you keep them on the field for very long, you'll find holes in it, and you, you know, teams will will put up pretty good numbers, but. It's 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 as simple as whether they can run the football because then then that puts them in second and three where Dak can do some creative stuff um, and he doesn't have to be relied upon. Dak Prescott is not a a franchise saving or game changing quarterback. He can make some good plays for you, but if they can't run the football today, if the Eagles find a way to limit Zeke to Seventy-five yards or fewer on twenty-something carries, or if Dallas, you know, gets down early and abandons the run like they have in other games, if they don't run the football, they will lose. It's just that simple. Last question: Do the Vikings yeah. make the playoffs? Well, I don't think so. I I got I, I don't think they win in Seattle uh, on Monday Night Football. Uh, I think Seattle is just as desperate as they are. And Russell Wilson, I really like him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's had to run for his life for years behind a pretty pedestrian offensive line. And I just don't like anybody's chances going up there and winning 
in that climate, especially on a Monday night when fans can get lubed up all day and go in there and make noise. Uh, the Vikings are an interesting team. I think their defense is pretty good, but I think their play calling. This John D. Filippo, uh, he might have done nice work in Philadelphia, but some of his games play calling. Uh, last week, Dalvin Cook was running all over the Patriots, and it was 10 to 10. And they just decided, no, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to try to go the run and shoot uh, offense and let Kirk Cousins throw it, you know, 90% of the time. They just abandoned everything that they were doing that was kind of successful. Um, I just think right now their their problem isn't necessarily players on the field or the lack thereof or any injuries. I think it's play calling. Uh, I think their offense, when they get it right and they have a good mix and they can – establish some things with their uh with uh, Latavius Murray and and Dalvin Cook I think they're okay then it opens up the passing game I think if they start off just throwing the football around the field 90% of the time they're going to lose cuz Cousins is he, he's made a lot of mistakes um along the way he's been pretty good at times but I think their play calling is a, leaves a lot to be desired well, as a Seahawks fan, I like that answer a lot. So <laughs> I bet you do. I'm very I bet much. You do. I'm very much looking forward to Monday. Uh, it'll be a, a battle in our house between my wife and myself as uh, our teams battle. Uh, the uh, the I want to see. I want to see pictures. I want to see pictures with the different jerseys uh, on, and uh, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you guys when, going at each other when the Vikings and Seahawks squared off in the playoffs in that most the coldest game of all time. We I we drove up from Oklahoma and went to that game. Oh Lord, my God! I'm surprised you guys didn't have frostbite or lose a couple of limbs or something. Uh, that was, was insane. it was close. And the problem was I didn't look at the at the forecast before I bought the tickets. <laughs> well. You uh, you were in for a rude awakening, but so, you were yeah. probably dressed like you were probably dressed like Bud Grant. So what I, difference does it make? I had to stop in Des Moines on the way up and buy long johns because well, I couldn't probably didn't because I anyway, couldn't because yeah. I couldn't find any in Oklahoma. Well, not the long johns you need. They're kind of exactly. flimsy long johns exactly. when it comes to the South. They're not they're not the ones that'll keep you really warm. But oh, that was cold. And my God, I remember that day we were. My young, my oldest was in a basketball tournament, and we turned on the game just at the end for oh. the chip shot field goal by Blair Walsh, and uh, the reaction on the radio was priceless. Yeah, it was. Priceless. Uh, I've I've been in I've been in a lot of interesting buildings, and when he missed that kick, I uh, I think there was about seven of us that started yelling and screaming and and, and cheering. And then it was I think a, we can hear you. I think a, we can hear you. Yeah. It was a long <laughs> it was a long cold wait for the uh for the train back to downtown St. Paul. So What was your what was your wife like when uh when you guys were uh yeah, right after the game was she just was she despondent or was she looking at you telling you to shut the bleep up, you know? She, don't rub it in. <laughs> you know, she's a Here's the thing with my wife. She knows the deal. She knows that more often than not, Minnesota sports teams are going to fail. So she was almost kind of like, eh, what a shock. She's prepared herself, yeah. She's prepared her, that, That's true. We could spend an entire podcast on Minnesota sports fans and their disappointment, especially when it comes to the Vikings and their – even if they go 15-1 and one like they did in 98 – 
there's always they're always looking around the corner for how are we going to screw this up and and invariably they haven't been disappointed in that regard so. I, I have a theory on this that i'm going to save for the next time we we have a podcast is i don't oh, want to tease it's a tease you like that see i still got radio <laughs> skills <laughs> very nice this is, you did that you, well you saw the diamond in the rough when you hired me all those years ago you you saw the there's I, hey, I wanted to keep you. You were you were the one who wanted to go to Oklahoma and was supposed to be in Minnesota. I trust wanted me. to keep you. We had big things for you. Trust me, <laughs> trust me. This uh, this is a conversation that comes up every once in a while, and it doesn't ever. <laughs> I, I bet it does. I bet so, it does. Uh, yes, I have a theory on Vikings, and in fact, I think next time if we're gonna do a torturous Minnesota Viking, a uh, Minnesota sports podcast, I think we might need to bring Nikki in on the conversation and uh so we can really torture, that, would, that would make it legit yeah we can really make torture it her and uh and and make her feel the love now i will say the other, <laughs> i can hear yeah, that's, that make it legit yeah I, that's the quality microphones that i have you can pick her up in the living room I, pick the it other, up everything yeah the other the other thing i will say is it's also her fault that Mike Yo got fired because we went to the we went to the hockey game that that same night they played New Jersey. That was the start of the eleven game losing streak uh, because she wore her unlucky Minnesota Wild socks that she wasn't supposed to even bring with her um, and got Mike Yo fired. So that's that are was you also kidding me? Fault. That's not. That's that's not a fault. That's a credit. Everybody wanted him gone anyway. So kudos <laughs> to her for getting that done. Okay, we'll get out of here. We got uh, football to watch. We got uh, I got to go warm up because it's cold for here. It's like forty five degrees here. I'm freezing over here. You're uh, you're balmy compared to us, man. I need to go. Uh, I need to go sit by a fire. It's like fifteen. Yeah, it's fifteen here. So uh, yeah, enjoy that warmth for almost Christmas time. That's not that cold. That'll work. That'll work. Hey, I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks so much, Brad. That's uh, that's it for this week's episode of Just Another White Guys podcast. My guest has been Brad Lane. He's going to be back for more, so you're definitely going to want to be watching for that. We got uh, lots of fun stuff still coming up this month. We're going to get a Christmas episode up for you guys, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But I'm Dustin Jones. Always protect the five hole. Hey, Ty, who's your favorite person? Only Dustin. Fucking right. Too much. Oh, it hurt. Oh, too much. Too much. Oh, it's too big. It was too much.